It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I can't take away my womanhood from my blackness. I can't take it away from my trousers. I can't take it away from my queerness. You know, feminism is everything because we have gendered everything. Hello and welcome to the Feminists Don't Wear Pink podcast, based on the book Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, a collection of essays by 52 women on what feminism means to them. I'm your host, Scarlett Curtis. I'm a writer, activist, proud feminist and curator of our book and host of this podcast. This episode was recorded live from Manchester, where I had the opportunity to interview one of the most inspiring people I know. Monroe Bergdorf is a British model and activist. As a model, they have graced the covers of countless magazines, fronted countless campaigns and walked on countless runways and used their voice to create huge positive change within the fashion industry and beyond. As an activist for diversity and the rights of the LGBTQ community, they have spoken at Oxford, Cambridge and Princeton University, starred in a Channel 4 documentary on gender and identity and won an award for Changemaker of the Year at the 2018 Cosmopolitan Awards. They are a true, true hero of mine and an incredible force for good within the trans community and our country. Um, okay, first question. Okay. Monroe, are you a feminist? Yes. That's good. It would have been um, embarrassing if I'd hesitated then, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, <laughs> I asked that question at the beginning of every podcast, and normally, if anyone said no, I think I'd judge them a lot yeah. and maybe ask them to leave. <laughs> but I think for you, the feminist movement has actually done a lot to let down mm. your community and, you know, yeah. you in the past. And mm. so actually, I think you're someone I wouldn't be surprised if they said no. What does feminism mean to you and how did you come to own that word? So for me, feminism is a way of feeling empowered by my experience. And for a long time, um, I didn't see my experience within feminism, yeah. um, especially with um, like my, my trans intersections um, and my black intersections. I felt very much like they were secondary and you know I didn't necessarily hear that much about you yeah. know powerful women that I could see myself in so um yeah it took a longer time in understanding mm. feminism it wasn't really until I discovered intersectional feminism Dr Kimberly Crenshaw <laughs> uh, if anyone doesn't know what intersectional feminism is it's probably it's the feminism that you should be practicing yeah. inclusive of everybody but understanding that every single person has a different need for feminism based on their intersections which is race class gender identity sexuality those kind of things and that it's not the same movement for everyone absolutely I also think your eyelash and makeup ability in sections 
were not recognised in the feminist movement for a very long time, and so I can understand why. You know, for a you long time, at I that. didn't know how to put eyelashes on, so <laughs> okay, well, yeah. putting it on my lid, and I was kind of like looking down all the time. Oh, I know. <laughs> I just get them stuck on constantly. Um, over the last few years, you've been so prevalent at the forefront of British society and feminist activism, but I feel like a lot of people don't know your story necessarily mm. or how you got here. What what brought you to being right here on this stage right now doing what you do? Um, some good, some bad. I think that you may have heard of me in some of the bad. Uh, <laughs> but um, the, good, the good side, um, I, I, I just really, my activism is really focused on anti-prejudice. So mm. um, just going along the lines that nobody should be um, discriminated against or um, put in a position where they can't be themselves. Mm. So I like to focus on gender and race as primary um, um, roles of um, making the world be a better place, but also I like to focus on things that don't necessarily affect me, like Islamophobia, mm. um, intersex rights, um, reproductive rights. As a trans person, I, I can't give birth, but that doesn't mean that I can't stand up for women that can. Mm. But mainly it's um, just doing things like this and working with amazing people like yourself. Yeah. You've talked in the past about becoming an activist. Yes. Almost by accident. It was completely by accident. Yeah, and I think... I've worked with a lot of people over the years who have kind of dedicated their entire lives mm. to charity work or some kind of activism or political activism, and still, when you ask them, they have trouble associating themselves with that term. Mm. You know, I think some people either feel like they don't see themselves in that word or mm. they feel like they haven't done enough to justify that mm. word. And I'm truly of the school of belief that, like, if you do anything good, you're an activist. Sure. How long did it take you to claim that title and kind of make it your own? It wasn't so much the word activist that made me feel like an imposter. It was the words or the term role model. Yes. That's a term that I really struggle with because I think I'm constantly figuring things out. Yeah. And for the longest time, I felt like an imposter in doing what I was doing. Yeah. But it wasn't really until I started to get the feedback for what I was doing that people saw themselves in my mm. work and um, felt like it was making their life easier. Mm. So, I mean, activism has always been something that I've been quite passionate about. It did happen by accident in terms of the level of which I do it now mm. because of the Daily Mail. But <laughs> anyway, um, but um, it's really just, I think taking ownership of it takes a while. Yeah. And I think that that's something that all activists experience. It's knowing that you should be in the room, that you have something worthy to contribute. Yeah. And also that you're making a difference because yeah. you often don't really see the difference unless you're like, you know, changing a law like Gina Martin. Yeah. Shout out to Gina Martin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, unless you, it's real tangible stuff like that, you know, it's usually getting into people's bedrooms, you know, when they're on their own and, like, helping them to not to feel so alone. Um, you don't necessarily always see what, you know, the impact of what you're doing. So I think it's just self-belief. It's a process of self-belief, really. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think so often in kind of liberal society, we prioritise mm. legislative change yeah. over anything else. And But we all know how much governments how much, even if that, those rights are in place, it doesn't necessarily... I think the change you make in people's minds and yeah. 
their lives is so much more important. And not everything can be a statistic, you know. Totally. I think, yeah. You know, um, if anything that we've that we're learning recently is that you know there's a whole grey area. Yeah. And what happens in the grey area is the majority of what happens. Yeah. But it can't be defined. So um, I think it's you know just being conscious of the fact that you are making a difference and taking on board criticism and taking yeah. on board praise as well, but not letting it get to you too much. Completely. I think something I want to ask you about is kind of fashion in general. Mm -hmm. You are a model. You do a lot of stuff with fashion companies and brands. Yeah. And I feel like you've very much taken this path of ch trying to change things from the inside mm. and working with people. And also just in general, the way that you, you know, you're up here tonight telling people about who you are. It's You're very open mm. to that. And I think there are almost two strands of activism. One which is either pushing back at everyone and rejecting yeah. everything, and then one which is working with people and trying to make our world more inclusive. Why is it so important to you with to work with people who maybe in the past have excluded people like you? Mm. And when did you kind of come to that? Um, I think fashion is such a visual medium, mm. and it's something that I've always really gravitated towards and thought, you know, you can tell a million different stories in one picture. Yeah. And um, I just, I've always just really felt like I belonged there, mm. but I was never, I never saw anybody like me in there. And yeah. I just thought, well, if I feel this way, then there's going to be so many people that uh, feel that way too. And I got my first modeling job by accident really, and it just kind of went from there, and I started booking better jobs, and then it got to the point where I was being booked on the basis of my body, and I was like, well, I don't really feel that comfortable with this, and um, I'll tell you about a, sh a shoot, actually, that I did, <laughs> um, and the people that I shot with were amazing, but it was just how the situation was dealt with wasn't great. Um, I was asked to do this shoot, and the stylist wanted me to shoot um, untucked, but with my breasts out. And I was like, the photographer's amazing, I'm gonna do it because it's an incredible opportunity. But then I thought, oh, when I was getting changed, yeah. my body is being used as an opportunity for them, really not so much for me. Yeah. And I'm having to sacrifice my comfort to make a point for them to allow, to yeah. allow them to make a point. So and I, to be like fashion. Yeah, and I was just like, okay, well now I'm I'm a bit of a gimmick. Mm. Um, and then I ended up booking a job after that for Unico, which was amazing. I don't know if you know of Unico. It's a um, I'm allowed to mention brands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too late now. Love Unico. Um, it's a, a Japanese Great clothing brand. <laughs> and for Japanese for a Japanese clothing brand to be so inclusive of mm. trans people, and like I've got loads of tattoos, and Japanese people traditionally don't really like tattoos, and it was just a very much of a wild card. Um, I haven't looked over here, sorry. It's a wild card casting. And I just thought this is a great opportunity for me to speak about my um, experience. Um, it's such a big platform. And at the, at the time, there really wasn't anybody sharing real stories, you know? Yeah. And marketing was just very, very different. But this was one of the first campaigns that I saw which really encouraged the people that were in the campaign to speak about what makes them them. So um, after that, and it was everywhere, it was all over like Oxford Street. I just got such so cool. great feedback from other trans people saying, oh my God, a trans person's on a billboard in the middle for of- Uniqlo. <laughs> For Uniqlo. For Uniqlo, like in London, like never thought we'd see that. Yeah. 
And then I got, um, a, camp, I got a, um, a Pride campaign in the Evening Standard and everything kind of got rolling from there. Mm. But it really, you know, you just need to, it really is, you know, be the change that you want to see. And that's really, I never thought of myself as a model. I just thought, I love fashion, yeah. want to be in fashion. I guess modeling is the way that I'm going to do it. Did it. Here we are. <laughs> um, I, I love all that. And I think you're one of the most fashionable people I know. Oh, you make thanks. me feel very, very unfashionable. Not today. I um, go, I'm either like super, super casual or super, yeah. super <laughs> Well, I've so. completely run out of pink clothes, so I'm just wearing black. Because <laughs> honestly, we've done enough of these events where I have nothing left. Um, now, I really want to talk about white women. Yes. Because I think we fuck up a lot. Uh-huh. And we have a lot to answer for. Mm. And I think, firstly, I want to b- apologise on behalf of my breed. Um, and I also think it's taken a really long time and a really disappointingly long time for white mm. women to realise they aren't the centre of feminism mm. and they aren't the centre of the conversation and to understand how to be more inclusive. What do you wish that white feminist knew to make their feminism more inclusive? Um, I think the next step really is just taking the guilt out of, you know, um, are we, am I doing enough or am I getting this right? Yeah. Um, I think that so many of us are so scared to get things wrong that we don't actually do anything, which means that we don't get it right because we don't do anything. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really about recognising that we've all got privilege in one way or another. We're living in the West, yeah. you know, we've all got enough money to, like, end up here. Um, and I think it's really important to, you know, not necessarily feel guilty about mm. that, but do something with it. And, you know, if you've got privilege, then, you know, use that to help somebody else. Yeah. Don't just feel guilty about, you know, uh, I'm a white woman, I've got privilege, so I don't want to use my voice yeah. and take up space. You can do it in a different way. You don't always need to speak and you don't always need to, you know... Um, speak about how you're feeling, Yes, you can always use your privilege as a platform. So that's what I try to do. I mean, I've got privilege as well. Um, for a black woman, I've got very light skin and I'm not treated in the same systemically oppressive way that a dark-skinned black woman will be treated. My mum's white. I was raised in a very middle-class, very affluent area in um, Hertfordshire. Um, And I speak in a way that I'm on the phone. You're probably not going to necessarily think about my ethnicity. So we've all got privilege, and I think it's really important to just realise what it is and how you can use it to help other people. I love that. And I think you're so right, and I think so many of the bad things people do don't come from hatred, they just come from like avoiding awkwardness. Absolutely. Especially here, like we're all so scared to mm. get it wrong that we avoid even getting anything right. For sure. It's like everything though. You see a fight on the train and you don't want to get involved because yeah. you don't want to get it wrong and you don't know the backstory. But sometimes it really is as cut and dry as you see something wrong happening, stand up yeah. and do something because it can really make a huge difference. Very interesting. Um, You lie at the intersection of so many identities, Mm -hmm. as you've been saying. Where does feminism fit in with your activism in relation to kind of being a woman, but also a black woman and a trans woman and everything else that comes with that? Um, 
feminism's everything. Mm. I think it's just everything. I think it's your ability to access a tool to empower yourself and others. Yeah. And that falls within everything. You know, men need feminism as much as women. Um, and, you know, we're not getting that through to a lot of men, yeah. <laughs> which um, we need to. And I, I, just, I just think that it's a, it's a medium that we can all use to educate each other. Yeah. on the needs um, of each other. Something that makes me almost more angry than anything within my own life is when people complain about political correctness mm. and this idea that has emerged of, oh, it's political correctness gone mad. Yeah. And my response to that is normally, if anyone says, like, don't you think all this political correctness is going, might go too far, mm. I always just say, give me an example. <laughs> of when it has what do actually they mean gone too far. When it's, yeah. too far. Like, what are you scared no of? No one has one. I think that they don't actually have proof. They just, it's yeah. like this theoretical idea that suddenly we'll all, I don't know what it will be like when it goes too far. It's going to be fascinating. But yeah. it, all it really is to me is people asking mm. not to be marginalized by everyday conversation. But mm -hmm. I assume you, I assume it's something you get asked a lot. And also, you've spoken incredibly in the past about the importance of language in your own activism, yes. the importance of changing narratives. Why is changing narratives and changing activism so important to you? Um, I think being mindful of our language is the difference between empowering somebody and getting somebody on side mm. or um, you know, alienating them and then making everybody's lives harder. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, um, I'm having a mind blank at the moment, <laughs> But I mean, when I think back to when I was 11, when I was um, 11 years old, and he said 11 o'clock, 11 years old. I think back to 11 o'clock last um, night. 11 years old. <laughs> I had no language to speak about my gender identity. I had no language to speak about my, um, my race. And um, apart from what other people had to say, mm. and if we equip, especially younger people with, you know, um, speaking about feminism or speaking about racial equality or, you know, all of the movements that are online, especially mm. the body positivity movement. Yeah. Um, we're just equipping younger generations with the ability to speak about who they are as people. And I can only really explain it as my whole childhood was like trying to fit a cylinder into a square, into a square shape, yeah. into a square shaped hole. And there's nothing wrong with the square shape hole, but that's just not my hole. Mm. <laughs> Quite literally. <laughs> Walk straight into that one. But, um, <laughs> not a stand-up set. So. Um, but yeah, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, that, but yeah. that's not me. And, um, you know, we need to <laughs> allow people to find their own holes. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, I think you're so right. And I also think... We language affects. She's just gone with doors. Yeah, doors or I don't know, <laughs> crevice. Um, language affects the way we think. It affects the way we feel about ourselves. You know, it's not like mm. you. Ha if you don't have a word for it, you don't have a thought for it. Absolutely. Like, getting very philosophical. Um, and I think what's incredible about you is that you. <laughs> I'm going to take it there too. You were trying to fit this cylinder into this square shaped yeah. hole, but a lot of people, and I know this was for me. Because wherever I didn't fit in, I just felt like there was something wrong with me. For sure. I didn't even think I could do it, you know, and it really wasn't until I found feminism. I was hurt a lot when mm. I was younger and I was told a lot of lies and all this stuff. And 
I just believed them. I thought it was all myself. Sure. And when I found that language of feminism, it was only through books that I realised, like, oh, this, there's another hole. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the and that mind. really is it, isn't it? These yeah. people that are saying it's going to go too far is because they found who they think they are. Yeah. It's not usually who they are, but it's who they think they are because society's told them that's who they are and they're okay with it because they tick every box. But... And they've worked really hard to tick those boxes. And yeah, we need to sure. acknowledge that as well. But for sure, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that you can, you know, then stop other people from being able to tick their boxes. And yeah. for that to happen, we need to develop language. And it's also, you know, we need to bear in mind that language is consistently changing. Yeah. It doesn't stay the same. It's never stayed the same. We add a different word to the dictionary every single mm. year and everybody's okay with that. Yeah. But, you know, when it's bling bling, it's okay. Yeah. But when it's non-binary, it's not. Yeah. So, you know, we need to really think about our priorities. And if um, developing language so that people feel heard and seen and validated, that can only be a yeah. good thing. Obviously, the answer doesn't just lie in changing language. And mm. there is a lot of legislation yes. that needs to be passed. Um, I'm very obsessed with stats. It's actually one of my biggest passions. Okay, um, amazing. But you did this amazing alternative queen speech at Christmas, which Thank was you. one of my the most incredible things I've ever seen. If anyone here hasn't seen it. <laughs> we did that in a week. If anyone here hasn't seen it, she did a queen speech. It's amazing. And you talked a lot about the progress that's been made around the LGBTQ plus community, but also mm -hmm. the progress that needs to be made. Yeah. I have some stats here, um, which I wanted to read. They're very painful, but they are also the country we live in. Uh, 5% of LGBTQ people in the UK have undergone some sort of conversion or a reparative? Yeah, that's the word. Conversion therapy yeah, okay. in an attempt to cure them. Mm -hmm. One in five LGBTQ people have experienced a hate crime. 42% of trans people are not living permanently in their preferred gender. 45% of LGBTQ pupils, including 64% of trans pupils, are bullied. Mm -hmm. At school, however, just two in five people report that their schools say that transphobic bullying is wrong. Um, and then, you know, when you go around the world, 72 countries criminalise same-sex relationships. It goes on and on and on. This is not just an issue of discrimination. It's mm. a national and global crisis. Yeah. I can't even imagine what it's like for you to hear those kind of stats and see them all the time, every day as if they weren't affecting mm. people's lives. But the responsibilities to change these should be on governments. What do you think we can do to make this change happen and make the people who hold the power listen and actually start acting? I think it's really about sharing stories mm. and um, humanising the experience and humanising the difference between all of us. Yeah. You know, we speak about migrants like they're not people. We speak about, um, you know, um, trans people, trans kids, like they're some form of like zoo animal yeah. or crazy anomaly. And the or reality like a new is, trend sometimes. Yeah, trends exactly. Weird. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that it's really about just humanizing experience and talking about the nuances about what makes us different. Mm. Um, and, and also, you know, there's so much beauty. I posted the other day, there's so much beauty in our differences, you know, and recognizing that, yes, we're all different, but we're so similar as well. Yeah. We all experience the same stresses or different stresses, but it's that same feeling. So um, I think it's really about, you know, yeah, that. Until I saw the film, I don't know if you've seen it, Paris is Burning. 
yes. an amazing film. If you haven't, if you're not too familiar about um, the history of trans people, um, mainly from America, yeah. it's, in, it's in New York in the 80s, 1986, my year of birth. Um, <laughs> but watch that. That was the first instance that you I ever Taylor saw. You and Taylor Swift. Sorry? You and Taylor Swift. Me and Taylor Swift? Yeah. Oh, really? Isn't that what that album's called? Paris is Burning. 1986. Oh, no. I don't know. I'm older than Taylor Swift. <laughs> 1980 what? 1989. Sorry. Yeah, I on. wish I was the same age as Taylor Swift. <laughs> Only three years older. But anyway, this, this, is, this was um, the first time that I'd seen the human experience um, of a trans person mm. speaking about how they feel, yeah. what they do to survive, um, who looked after them, what, the, what they faced in like their way. And it's, it wasn't really until then that I thought, okay, well, I feel like that. Maybe... Maybe I could be, maybe I'm transgender. And uh, until that, until I'd like felt that, I'd only read the word transgender yeah. and thought, well, that's not me. That, that, could, that couldn't be that me. Because that sounds I, like a bad thing. That sounds like a bad thing. And also I don't fit the dictionary definition of what yeah. a transgender person is. Um, I think that it, I think it really, we need to get back to lived experience. We need to get back to that gray area that mm. can't necessarily be bottled, can't be, you know, turned into a statistic. I think it's really important to talk to each other and see each other as humans rather than, you know, yeah. sometimes stats aren't always the best thing. And that's how you can utilize your privilege. You yeah. know? Everybody's got something that they're good at. As human beings, we're all good at something, whether or not that's art, mm. whether or not that's numbers, whether or not that's organization. Just use whatever you're good at or time. Yeah. You know, time is probably the most lucrative thing that yeah. you can have in today's society. If you want to be an ally and if you want to use your privilege to help other people, then utilize what you've got and what you're good at. Yeah. And watch Paris is Burning. It's amazing. It's also very interesting. Did I finish that story? I didn't even know if I finished yeah, that story. Did. I've had so much coffee, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Um, I also want to talk about online hate. Mm -hmm. It is pointless and annoying for me to say, I don't know how you do it. But I also don't know how you do it. I think you continue to use your online platforms to be one of the most positive changes Thank and forces you. for good. I need to carry you around with me. Yeah, so you should be your hype like man. Hype me up all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's actually my job. I'm going to put it in my Instagram bio. Thanks. Um, but I genuinely think the online bullying you receive, if anyone else in this room received it, I, I personally would not be resilient enough to handle it. And I would have like moved to a farm in the middle of nowhere and it's be tempting. raising cats right now which I'm also quite close to anyway with like one mean comment I'm like farm cats um how do you continue to do what you do despite the hatred I think because for as much hate as I get I get a lot of love mm. and it's the people that give me the love mm. it's you know kids in their bedrooms like just like sending me a message saying like thank you so much for what you just said on this podcast or like um telling me like their grades of what they're getting at school or I get so many kids doing their school projects on me and oh doing presentations God. on me and like that's wild to like think you know I did my presentation on like Nick Knight who's yeah. an amazing photographer who I got to work with and I just think of like how much that meant to me and like I just think how can I not allow myself to you know s allow them to see me as a role model like mm. 
even if I don't really like it, it's there and it's happening and it's making a positive change. Yeah. So I try to I tend to try to focus on the positive rather than the negative. And also, I just think, you know, these people that are calling me this, that, and the third, they're probably going to shut their laptop, take the dog out for a walk, have an argument with their wife, and then go yeah. to sleep. They're not going to think about me. They're not, they're not yeah. going to give it a second thought. So if I start, you know, internalizing every single bad thing that's said about me when this, this person that's saying it to me doesn't care yeah. about my well-being, they just want to hurt me. Yeah. And if I allow them to do that, then they've won. Yeah, so and you're thinking about them more than they're thinking exactly. about you. They're just, you know, and yeah. a lot of the time they're not actual people, you know, yeah. bots. Russian bots. Right? <laughs> um, I think it's, it. you know, I think you just need to try and put it into perspective. Yeah. And none of these people really know me. You know, if my mum was screaming at me and calling yes. me what they're calling me, then that would break my heart. But yeah. these people, I don't know who they yeah. are. And um, if I've upset them by speaking about my life experience or the experience of others and that the fact that we need to be more considerate as a society, mm. if that's hurt them, then I guess that's ruffled the people that need to change. Yeah. So I try not to internalise it. Means you're doing something right. I guess so. I'm definitely, next time someone ghosts me on a dating app, I'm going to be like, Russian bot. <laughs> but it's not a real person. Delete dating apps. Don't date yeah, online, Scarlett. It's a whole <laughs> nother show, guys. I'm such a mum. I'm um, just like, oh. Yeah. Well, some of us What happens work in real life? Some of us work as feminists, and only me are the feminists, and are still heterosexual, and it's Need a real burden. Need a feminist dating app. Yeah, for sure. That's My dad great. actually teased me the other day. He was like, I just found this group of soft, sweet, single, straight men who are also feminists. You should join. I was like, really? And he was like, no, that doesn't exist. <laughs> Go hang out with real men. Wow. <laughs> I know, that's rude. Um, I think there's often a kind of misunderstanding of the term self-care. Mm -hmm. But to me, self-care is a huge, huge part of being an activist, being mm. a person who was trying to do things. I think mm. you need self-care in order to sustain any kind of work you want to do, whether that's to do with charity or the environment yeah. or feminism or anything you need self-care because you cannot be out there putting mm -hmm. yourself out there. What does self-care mean to you and how do you take care of yourself and protect yourself? I'm so... By the way, the, um, the stand-up before was incredible. She's and I'm amazing, so glad that it was about <laughs> masturbation because masturbation <laughs> is such an overlooked tool of self-care. Without a doubt. I can't think of a way other than eating... <laughs> And um, sleeping. Yeah. That, you know, it's something that's so nourishing for you yeah. yourself. Especially as a trans person, you know, so much of the narrative of being trans, especially if you're a binary trans person, is about, you know, talking about not feeling like you're in the right body or changing your body or altering your mm. body to feel how you... to see yourself reflected how you feel. And, you know, for a long time, my, my sex drive was really affected mm. by my hormones or my antiandrogens, which stopped me from producing testosterone. And obviously that has a big impact on your sex drive as your body recalibrates to a female sex drive from a male sex drive because for someone who's had the two, they are very <laughs> different things, which is why you can't trust men. But... <laughs> 
that. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> of course. Um, but as someone who's experienced with two, it, my, my masturbation <laughs> um, really changed. And getting to know my body and pleasuring mm. my body and feeling comfortable with my body has been a real journey. So whenever someone asks me about my self-care, and I get asked a lot, um, no, it's a really great question. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay, a really great fine, question. I guess I'm no, basic. I've got it sorted. <laughs> I've got it It's the one question that I can actually answer. Um, I say sex, yeah. smell, and um, what was the other one? Sorbet. Oh, my God. I So the three that. S's. So sex, because... We're the same person. I mean, not sex with other people, but... And we haven't hung out this much single. before. Like, it's always like at, like, <laughs> galas or whatever. friends. Like, hi, 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 friends. hi. Um, <laughs> but, like, sex, because it, it's a chance for you to reconnect with your body yeah. and make yourself feel good. You know, if you... The likelihood is that you're going to come. Yeah. And that releases so many endorphins. Um, so every... Day before I wake up, as I wake up. Before you wake up, that sick. would be amazing. It usually is before I wake up. Like, you know, those people that eat in their sleep. I you masturbate yeah. in your sleep. <laughs> it's been known. And um, smell, I'm an extremely susceptible person Same. to smell. A candle a light, light, or incense can mm. literally change my mood so quickly and transport me, yeah. you know. Our olfactory glands are, um, or senses are built around memory. So when we smell something that makes us, that made us feel good, mm. it can make us feel good again. So I'm really I have the same thing with bad my, yeah. smells, which is scary. And then sorbet, because I once had a need to, I say sorbet, it's actually ice cream, but I, I, would, I want it all to be S's. <laughs> Get the sibilance so, in. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I had an eating disorder um, from the age of around 15 up until I started my transition. And it was my mind's way of controlling what my body looked like because I was developing... Um, into a male puberty, and obviously my body was changing mm. in a way that I didn't want it to, but it was happening subconsciously. So um, I had a really bad relationship with food for the longest time, and it was ice cream that got me back into I feeling good that. about food. Um, so, you know, you just need to remind yourself that food isn't just there for fuel, it's there for pleasure. Yeah. And we've all got that one food that can, you know, make us feel comfort. Yeah. And for me, it's always just been ice cream. So those are my three things that are my go-to. And whenever I'm feeling down, it's about taking yourself out mm. of that situation and doing something to make yourself feel good. And walking, but that yeah. doesn't go with the three S's. Strolling. Strolling. Oh, my Strolling. God. It turns into the four S's. Um, <laughs> I completely agree. And it makes me quite annoyed when people talk about self-care and they're like... I do a face mask and I'm like I do a face mask when I'm feeling really good like mm. when I actually need I mean face mask great but I do think masturbation is a huge part of that yeah I think my pets for me are a big part I have a similar thing I was in a well not similar but my version of that is I was in a wheelchair between the ages of 14 and 19 and that's like puberty I very much ignore my body during mm. that time and kind of hated my body and um Masturbation was a huge part of kind of yeah. coming out of that coming out of that period, um, especially for women. You know, like yeah, because we're I, not we're I, not thought as well. I think it's different for trans women because you know the majority of time that 
you know, especially men come into contact with a trans woman is porn mm. or like a pop-up or something like that. It's like, oh, what's that? I was like, oh. Um, so <laughs> that's usually yeah, how people find out about trans women. It's not a pop-up. They've searched for that. Probably. Well, it's, a, it's the most uh, one of the most searched um, yeah. porn categories, which is a good thing and a bad thing. But <laughs> with female pleasure, as a general blanket, mm. it's you know not necessarily talked about. Mm. Um, I think even the fact that... Um, we, we were all giggling so much with the piece about masturbation yeah. before this. Like, it's, you know, it's, it ignites something in us that we shouldn't really be laughing about. We yeah. should be laughing about it. Well, we yeah, all enjoy and I used it. to feel so much shame around all of that. Yeah. I thought I was the devil. <laughs> um, I think that's all we have time for. Uh, but thank you to Mumro for being exactly the kind of person I want to be when I grow up. Oh, um, you just called me old. And no. <laughs> Yeah, just a slight dig. No, Thanks, I mean babe. it emotionally. I want to emotionally. Well, a big thank you to Scarlett as well because she's doing some seriously amazing work, and I think you know your vulnerability is testament to um, what we need and pushing things forward. And you know, you you really do wear your heart and your sleeve, and it's really admirable. Thank you. I wish it was a choice. But it's not. I just very, it's very cry all the time and I can't control it. Um, and thank you so much to all of you and Manchester for showing up and generally being awesome. Even this guy whose t-shirt says, I will kill again. <laughs> this guy distracting. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I hope you won't. I'm glad um, I didn't see that. Yeah, I know. I saw it when the lights came up. Um, on that note, <laughs> thank you all so much uh, and thank you for coming. Thank you. And thank you. you have been listening to Feminist Don't Wear Pink, the podcast, hosted by me, Scarlett Curtis. The book is available everywhere books are sold and 10% of every copy goes to the UN charity Girl Up. It's also available as an ebook and audiobook read partially by me if you prefer to listen. If you liked this podcast, please remember to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps the podcast and it helps us reach people who might not think they're feminists. We'll be back next week with another amazing guest. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a feminist. Have a great day.